This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Open the Voice Gate for May 5th, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed, or you can find us on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site, and you click the sponsor of this podcast red box, and you can set up a one-time recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts, it's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, joined alongside, as always, my co-host and friend Case Lowe. And Case, things worked out in a nice bit of synchronicity that we're doing a near-instant Dead or Alive 2021 review. How does that feel? I'm stoked about this. It feels great. I think this is the quickest turnaround we've ever had from a big show into a podcast, uh, we have a lot to talk about, and we want to get it out as soon as possible. Maybe even this will hit your feeds before you all watch Blood and Guts tonight and then listen to everything Elite as soon as as soon as soon Dynamite ends. I do have a question unrelated to wrestling to start sure off the thing. podcast, because I, I actually think it's an, important to t- uh, it's an important topic to some extent. We both, since the last time we recorded, received our second COVID vaccine. Mike Spears, how are you feeling after shot number two? So, today... I feel perfectly fine. I feel back to normal. My body is failing me on just the amount of ways that I expected to be failing me. But uh, it was a weird shot for me. Like, I wasn't sick, I would say, but the side effects I got from Moderna were not the ones I expected. Did you have any side effects with yours? Uh, well, I, you know, I, I was a little nervous because <clears throat> I uh, choked to death almost in my own apartment. I, I apologize to the listeners for that awful sound. Uh, I was a little nervous getting the second vaccine uh, just because I don't I don't like being sick. I don't really like feeling any pain. And I feel like I've been in and out of doctor's offices really my entire life just dealing with various ailments. But it was nice to have some sort of validation after the second COVID vaccine that I am, in fact, built different. And I did not have any side effects whatsoever. And that was a really good feeling. Yeah, so... On Friday, when I went to go get my vaccine, I stopped by the local uh, pharmacy beforehand, get aspirin, you know, get Pepto, you know, just because of how different these side effects could be. I was just expecting that, you know, anything could happen. But what happened to me was not at all what I expected. I was fine Friday. I got the shot on Friday afternoon. I was was fine Friday. Woke up Saturday with the weirdest series of of hot followed by cold flashes for the next 48 hours and severe ones too. It was just utterly bizarre. And I like looked up and like, yeah, that's a side effect. It's getting both of those. 
and then I had fatigue at night. But by by about Monday, everything was back normal for me. I I am one of the people that CDC checks every day for the vaccine, which has been a really wild thing because I'm doing mine through the state versus doing it through a pharmacy, a supermarket, like like a lot of providers. So I've been getting text messages and having to say like. Well, I felt like I was 30 degrees, and then I felt like I was 90 degrees within three-minute time span. <laughs> Go get your second vaccine. I went to a Chicago Cubs game yesterday. It felt great. Go get it. It's awesome. Go live your life after you get the vaccine uh, and, and, and end up alive because we're talking about Dead or Alive 2021, Mike. Yes, that is what we're talking about. This was a show that that finished up. You watched it live or near alive. Finished up about... 8 a.m. this morning, you would say? I mean, even before that, because I watched it live and I'm uh, central time. It started at two o'clock for me. I clock into work at 5 a.m. and this show was done around, I think, 5.15 my time. It's not, it wasn't a super long show. Uh, and, and there'll be the reason why this wasn't super long as we get into it, but very quick show. Uh, just marking this so that we can. This was their first show back in. It's been called Dolphins Arena. It's been called the IEG Perfectorial Jimbo. It's the first time they've been up there since 2019. 2,180 attendants, one of their largest attendants in the COVID era for the show that just off the top, I, I think we go. We should go big t- picture and then work our way backwards case. But uh, just a snake bit show, at least when we got to the business end of the card, in my opinion. A really bizarre show. I think Dead or Alive most years is a really memorable card. There's been a lot of Dead or Alive discussion on Twitter this week. People talking about how 2014 is one of the best shows that Dragon Gate has ever produced. I think 2016, it, it has weird peaks and valleys, but the peaks are as high as, as a Dragon Gate pay-per-view that I can remember. I think 2019 with Pac versus Dragon Kid and a pretty great cage match, that was a super memorable show. This year's show is going to be super memorable for just how bizarre it was. And and I had not looked at or had seen any attendance figures before you just threw that out there. I'm stunned because I think this is the first big show that Dragon Gate has had in the COVID era with the delayed Kobe world from last year, Dangerous Gate, Gate of Destiny, Final Gate. This is the one where I thought the atmosphere was dire. Yeah, the, I, I think that there was one match, actually really two matches that the crowd was up in the way that we've seen Dragon Gate crowds being more lively than most of the remainder of Japan. But the rest of it just was... And, and, and given what all happened during this show, I can't blame them whatsoever, but just sat on their hands. And, you know, I mean, the big compare and contrast was the cage match in an Oda City Gymnasium at Dangerous Gate 2020, where the crowd was going wild for that. So, you know, it's just kind of remarkable. I just did a quick little scan... Okay, so this is their largest attended show since Kobe World 2020. Yeah, that would that would make sense on the surface, given that it's such a big show. And as we talked about during Dangerous Gate in September last year, when they ran a cage match in Tokyo, there were fans in Aichi going like, hey, what the fuck? This is our match. Like, why are you giving Tokyo this match? They got it back this year. At least the idea was that people would be excited about it. But I actually thought in particular in the cage match, which is going to be a divisive cage match. I think people are going to be all over the place on how they on how they feel about this. I think you're going to see some Dragon Gate fans that maybe don't follow the promotion on a show-to-show basis 
or fans that are a little more fond of your Shima, Tozawa, Shingo era of the promotion, I think they're going to be down on this. But I think if you're into the modern product and you understand what this match was, because this cage match, one, I think it's just a complete departure from any cage match they've ever done. But especially compared to, say, the Oda City Gymnasium cage match from September, that was a Dragon Gate cage match. That is typically what is advertised. It was wacky. There are a ton of stipulations. You didn't really know what was going to happen. This was a cage match where we came in being 99% sure we knew what the result was going to be. And it was also, I, I thought, had a much more serious tone than most of the cage matches do. Would you agree or disagree with that statement? Yeah, no, the tone was kind of off. And I mean, I wrote about this in the preview. Like, this is something that it was that they had this cage match built up so in advance that I think it actually worked against the cage. And I think it worked yes. against the feud. And I mean, it, it, it is nice the way that, like, it, there's something comforting about Dragon Gate. Like, I love being surprised. I love being worked in wrestling. I love being worked in wrestling, not by the workers. Let me make that clear. But it, it is nice and very comforting to like be like, oh, so my suspicions were right. They did what I felt like was the right thing. But then afterwards, just kind of felt very weird. The, the, the post-match stuff. So the loser in the cage was SB Kento, as I think everyone kind of believed. Like, he was the prohibitive favorite as soon as they announced the match. And no one else was a part of it other than these four. And... He he was MVP of the cage. Like like I felt like that he is someone that if he was not already a capital S star before this show, even more so of one, I would say. He was in one of the signature matches on one of the signature shows with Yamato and Dragon Kid in his hometown, and he's obviously, you know, never that tippy top guy, never been an open the Dreamgate champion, but he is a one B star and a recognized star, both with fans in America, and Native fans in Japan, and he fit in. It's the remarkable thing about SB Kento. Whenever he is given an opportunity to fit in, it works. Like, this is a guy that comes across as a main eventer, and for a number of reasons after tonight's show, Hip-Hop Kakuta is not exactly in that position. Now, am I doubting SB, or I'm I'm sorry, am I doubting Hip-Hop Kakuta and his main event potential? No, I'm not, but... There's no questions to be asked with SB Kento. This is a this is a guy who, if I call him a main event guy, people are going to push back and say, yes, well, he's got so much more to go in his career. Of course he does. But this is a guy that, you know, if he's challenging for the Dreamgate later this year, I'm not going to be surprised. And am I going to say, will I be surprised if he wins the Dreamgate? I won't go that far. But look, this is a guy. This is a main event player. This is a guy that can hang with Yamato, and with Benkei, and with Doi, and with Dragon Kid. He's a guy, and he fit in, and you're right, Mike, he was absolutely tremendous in this match. I mean, I think we need to face facts. SB Kento might be the most prodigious talent in the history of the Dragon System. Let's see, he is... He debuted, 21. He's 21. He debuted in December of 2019, so let's just call it 18 months Let's compare that, because I think the only other comp at this point is, is Shingo. Shingo. Yeah, and right. Shingo debuts in, I think, October of 2004. He, by September of 2005, is becoming Shingo Takagi as we know him. Now, he goes on excursion. He ends up in, in 
I think FIP by 2006, because I don't really remember a lot of Shingo in 2006 in Japan. Uh, I know he has a, a horrible mash uh, with Yoshi, the uh, big pink guy at Kobe World 2006. That is an awful match from an awful wrestler and, and Shingo Takagi. Uh, but I, that's the only comp is is we're talking about, you know, Shingo, I think, was a four-time Open the Dreamgate champion. And SB Kento is rivaling him for the most impressive 18-month stretch out of any rookie we've ever seen. Yeah, and Shingo was doing this already in his mid-20s. Shingo yeah. came into Dragon Gate already with an extensive background in powerlifting and the Hamaguchi gym. I, I don't know how long he was in Hamaguchi's gym before he may, before he was spirited away to secret training, but it, it it's something that, I mean, this is, this is a, and I don't want to use the kid, the phrase kid with sounding pejorative, but this is someone who's literally a kid who has- He's younger all, than me, Mike. It's sick. It makes me sick to my stomach. I am just glad that for once on this show, you're getting your comeuppance. Just, <laughs> just for once, I, I'm not the only one feeling old, Case. It's unbelievable. This company headlined one of their five big shows of the year, one of their marquee events. This would be like if it was, uh, you know, a WWE superstar at the age of 21 headlining SummerSlam. And they had not one 21-year-old, but two with SB Kento and Hip Hop Kakuda. It's unbelievable how deep this roster is at this point. Yeah, and being completely honest, it's something they're doing out of necessity. I wrote about this in the preview on Voices of Wrestling. It's like, Masato Yoshino, and it's a brutal bummer to say, he's only the first. And there's going to be a generational shift over the next five to ten years that's already starting to happen. And they needed to do stuff like this already to, to get these kids ready. And I mean... Every test they put SB Kento up to, he passed with flying colors. He is someone that you. This is your big W because I was like maybe about. No, I wasn't so sure, but you were the day one person. Like, oh no, this guy is going to be the guy. And right now, uh, that there isn't a ceiling for SB Kento, and that's kind of remarkable. I think he could be the next Yamato, and I don't say that lightly. You know, Yamato's the face of Dragon Gate. He's the ace of the company. I don't see any reason why SP Kento can't follow in his footsteps. And I think SP Kento could do it faster than Yamato did. I, I mean, I really think that is what we're looking at here. Someone that can talk, someone that is handsome, someone that can wrestle, someone that can brawl, someone that can hang on the mat. Like, this guy can do everything. And he was the glue that kept this match together because, like I said, it was an odd cage match. There really, to me, hasn't been a cage match that has felt like this because... Yes, there were the confetti cannons and, and some weapons, and you had, you know, like, I think UT had a, a, a rubber mallet that he was hitting somebody on the head with at some point. But the consequences, although the result was never really in question, there was a level of direness, I think, in this match. It felt like four guys that were in a feud were typically in a cage match. You you might get, you know, your two guys are in a big feud and then your four random guys, you know, KZ and Rio Saito are going to be in this match just because they're going to be in the match. This These were four guys that had a purpose of being here and I thought everything they did played off of what led them to this point. The fact that SB Kento shooed Yamato on and said, Yamato, grab the flag. I don't care. I want Dragon Kid in this ring. I want to unmask him. That is a brilliant spot. That is unbelievable. Just the balls from a, a booking perspective, let alone the balls of SB Kento as a character, to say, keep me in this cage. 
I want to take this man's mask and I'm going to let you escape because I don't care. I don't need that flag. He was so confident in his abilities. And then, of course, he ended up losing, which is is just tremendous booking. And Dragon Kid gets his payback from Final Gate, one of the best matches we've ever seen. It's a great six-month story. I, I mean, what happened here, we didn't necessarily like all of the the little destinations, the row two tags on the way here. I was very frustrated with the way that Cork and main events went. But as, as, said, as I've said over the past few months, you know, it got us to this moment. And I'm okay with everything that happened because it got us to this moment. Even if this was just a very strange cage match where it, it just, I've never seen a Dragon Gate cage that felt like this. I mean, the only like, the, the one of the nice things about this and about the Dead or Alive cage matches or just the general cage matches is that they all kind of build on each other in a way. And this time, instead of building on it, they decided to take the off ramp and go somewhere completely new. Other than the fact that BB Hulk had his rope, never used it. Which cracked me up. I was like, oh, of course BB Hulk has this rope, but he didn't have a reason to use it. So he's just walking around with all this rope tied around him. And someone gave Kai a pop gu- a cap gun, which, you know, that is kind of insane. But you're absolutely right. This is something where this really showcased, like, both the confidence of SB Kento and the company's confidence in, but also shows that, like, when you give this kid the ball, he is going to score. And just, like, the little things of, like, he was just doing crazy bumps into the cage, looking very brutal all throughout. We should say that the finish was uh, the Cristo. So he actually, so actually, it's even more of a kind of a nice little comeuppance that it was Dragon Kid actually submitting him versus uh, the, in comparison to SP Kento submitting him at Final Gate. So just really kind of tied a bow onto it. it it's something that a lot of a lot of things about this match. I think stack up to the previous cage matches, but it's such a departure from it that it, this isn't going to rank up there with 2011 or 2016, but it was very suitable and it was, I went four stars flat on it. It's a middle of the pack cage match for me. You're right. Not as good as 2011, which unfortunately is not on the Dragon Gate network because that was a gate of destiny event, but that was the blood generator or blood warriors versus junction three cage that came down to, Yamato and Cyber Kong, the finish of that match was more exciting than any action movie I've ever seen before, and it gave us approximately four years of story between Yamato and Shingo after that match. Uh, 2016 is a bona fide classic, again, Yamato, the star in that cage match. Yamato and Shingo hang off another feud in that cage match, amazing how that works. Uh, I even thought the cage match from September was outstanding because that was when Masato Yoshida's career was on the line and for a a second it really looked like Masato Yoshida's career was going to end that was Ada if he had lost he would have had to have joined the Dragon Gate generation right maybe he just would have been kicked out of R.E.D. no he had to join you're right yeah okay he was the first one to escape the cage and it was just like whoa that was that was not the result anybody expected it was a perfectly timed escape I really like that one and I thought the Tokyo crowd was really receptive to that match, and there were times here where you had guys going for the flag or even just heat moments with SB Kento and Dragon Kid down the stretch where I really wanted to hear a shriek from the crowd or some thunderous clapping or something, and I just didn't think the crowd was super into it. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know how to rectify that. Now, I, I do say, I, I will say, I think there's an issue with the babyface side 
of this match. And something to us, we've talked about on the show every week, something felt a little off about the build. Like, we saw what they were doing, but it, it wasn't super enticing to us. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And then as soon as the match began, Jay on English commentary nailed it. And he said that High End has been a unit without internal conflict. They're too new to have internal conflict. And so Yamato and Dragon Kid weren't really at odds. Whereas the build of this match was just Kai and SB Kento hating each other. And Yamato and Dragon Kid kind of off doing their own thing. And I don't know if that's something that got messed up due to, to COVID and the way that, you know, they scheduled their events. I don't know. But that was a factor that I couldn't exactly put my finger on until I was watching this match and I had it spelled out for me. But Yamato and Dragon Kid not having any conflict coming into the match. Now, they kind of left the match with some conflict in that odd go-home promo. But not coming into the match with any conflict, I think, hurt the heat to an extent. I, I will say that there were... And I was, and I picked this up because I was really trying to pay attention to this. I was really focused in on the crowd. The only person who was getting calls because because Dragon Gate fans, I don't know if it, that they don't respect the company enough or they just get too into it. There were some significant keto chat chant calls. Like he was the only one kind of getting it. Like you wouldn't get Yamato, SBK, of course, wouldn't get them right at this point, and Kai as well. But it did seem that the only crowd enhanced crowd investment was towards Dragon Kid, which. As you said earlier, I mean, he is, he he is. If you want to look up the dic- the dictionary definition of the one B guy, it's Dragon Kid and in the company. And I mean, you you also kind of want to wonder with how they've always booked Dragon Kid and Aichi that they thought that 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 this is like, oh wow, he always loses in front of us. Could he actually be losing here tonight? And there was a little bit of it, but really not enough to kind of pull the pull the match into something truly special. I would say. I think with a normal crowd, you know, the pile driver spot on the table that SB Kento did, I think that gets a, a giant reaction, but that's a, a waste of conversation because we're a year into this. And we've seen, I mean, th- again, like I said, this is the first Dragon Gate show where I've been like, man, I did not care for this crowd all that much. Even Final Gate, which is in the notoriously dead Fukuoka building, they got up, you know, for the big moments of the big matches, they got up for those. It wasn't the case here. It was disappointing because I really thought this main event... Uh, could have used a little bit more life. There, There's one match in this podcast I will give my star rating for. The rest you will have to wait for the written review over at VoicesWrestling.com. That will be up on May 6th. So if you're listening then, you can head over to VoicesWrestling.com. If you are listening on May 5th, if this episode comes out soon enough, wait a day and you'll get my star ratings for everything but one match that we'll get to later. Yeah, no, that's entirely fair. And the crowd kind of had a good reason not to be into it. As we work our way backwards... The Open the Dreamgate Championship match. Poor Shun Skywalker just completely having one of the most like cursed snake but tile reigns because in four minutes and thirty three seconds, Shun Skywalker wins via TKO because Hip Hop Kakuda injures his shoulder on literally the first spot of the match on a drop drop toe hold. He goes down hard. They buy time. They buy time. Then. He gets back into the ring to do a finish, and it is one of the softest looking, like like all the outrage about the Final Gate main event and how that finished. If anyone even starts going like Dragon Gate is unsafe, I, he basically was like laying on Hip Hop Kakuta's head. He he did a reverse Fujiwara armbar that that Ada threw in the towel, and it looked like it was Ada's call into doing this because hip-hop kakuda was so angry like when they were taking care of him that he was he was crying on on screen 
at 8.42 a.m. Central Standard Time, a few hours after this match had concluded, Hip Hop Kakuda tweeted out, and this is a, a translation provided by Google Translate, I'll never forget you, fucking bastard. Mike, we might have stumbled into a phenomenal generational feud here. Yeah, yeah, just like how Bing K and, uh, and uh, Shin Skywalker, there will always be the idea of of now whenever Benke goes for the spear and Shun does the knee-to-the-face counter, that's going to be something they're going to play upon for the remainder of their careers. Now it's going to be something that whenever there's going to be any shoulder work on Hip Hop Kakuda, they could play off of that. And just like it, it, it was such a bummer to say. Like it's just one of those things that, you know, stuff happens and Shun Skywalker bless his heart you could tell how pissed he was in the post match where he didn't even go up through the ramp he just left through the uh, loser side door as fast as he could and i imagine that backstage he if we were to hear that he was throwing stuff around backstage i would not blame him whatsoever about this and it does seem that hip-hop kakuda is mostly fine maybe maybe it was like sublimation i guess is is what the speculation is we haven't heard anything and we probably won't hear anything definitive for a couple days but it seems like that it w- was a just a really bad a really uh, bad bump that just messed up his shoulder to the point that they're like we we're not going to risk this here let's just take care of it and go home for our baseball fans out there and I will be making a what I think is a very good baseball comparison later on in the show but for baseball fans out there uh, Jojo Remy pointed out that Fernando Tatis Jr just suffered a very similar looking injury uh, so if that does anything for you there you go. This was bizarre watching it in the moment because, uh, you know, you're geared up for a Dreamgate match. Kakuta had his, had his fancy ring jacket, Skywalker the same. You get the Japanese National Anthem. This is, you know, a, a record, record-setting record Dreamgate match to begin with. It's the youngest Dreamgate match in history. And, you know, I'm thinking, here we go. Kakuta beat Ben K. That match wasn't great. This is only his third singles match in history. He had a, a, an untelevised house show match against Shun last year. He had the Ben K match, and now he's got this. I'm ready to go. They lock up. They go off the ropes, drop toehold, and, uh, you know, I, I think at this point everybody is, is aware that this was a shoot because you watch it in slow motion, and Shun is ready to go to the next spot as Kakuta is rolling out of the ring, and then he rolls out of the ring, and, you know, the referee hits about the 10 count, and then Shun goes over to Masquerade, and that's when I knew that that something was not right, because Kakuta's on the ground, and then you can kind of see Shun in the background go over to Masquerade, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And then the referee, and I don't remember if it was uh, Nakagawa or if, or if it was Yagi, but the referee stops counting at some point. I think Kakuta was on the ground for over a minute, uh, because at some point the referee stopped counting and then started counting again, and he gets back in the ring, Shun puts him in a reverse Fujiwara, Kakuta hits the ropes, and then Shun does it again, and Ada throws in the towel, which at this point, and I, I'm not saying this definitively by any means, at this point I am convinced that Ada threw in the towel as a shoot also, because I don't think Kakuta wanted the match to end, but Ada was a veteran, hard to believe, but Ada is a veteran, and he threw in the towel. This is a, a bizarre match. It is the shortest Streamgate match on record, there have been seven Dreamgate matches, including this one, to go under 20 minutes. I will read you that full list now because I thought it was interesting. Uh, Shingo versus Takamichinoku from September of 2008. That went 1950. 
Yamato versus Cyber Kong from March of 2017. That went 1928. Shun Skywalker versus Kazuma Sakamoto from earlier this year went 1918. One of the shortest Dreamgate matches in history. Mochizuki versus Fuji from May 2005. That went 1542. Naruki Doi versus Aki Bono from this very show in 2009 went 1524. And BB Hulk versus Cyber Kong from this very show in 2015 went eight minutes on the dot. This went four minutes and 33 seconds. So the three shortest Dreamgate matches in history have all now happened at Dead or Alive. And it was one of the worst. It was one of the worst uh, Dreamgate title defenses in the uh, non-Cyber Kong kind of form or, or category. A Cyber Kong title defense and an injury. Poor and, IG. And I will say, I, I went back. There were two matches that I had time to watch in between watching this show live and then recording this podcast, one of which was the eight-minute Hulk versus Cyberclog match. Gotta say, not bad. That was kind of a really fun, like, BB Hulk still had a body and can bump around match. Yeah, that was his last defense, I think, before he lost it, I want to say. I think he had one more, but I, I couldn't tell you who it was against. Maybe it was his last one because he lost the belt in June, so never mind. So it, it's something where with everything happening in Japan, with everything kind of you know, kind of being on hold. It, it was something that, the, that Shun and Hip Hop Kakuta were in the same block of King of Gate. We don't know what the situation is with King of Gate right now, and it looks like that there is going to be an extension on the current state of emergency, with, which then pretty much everything's out of the window at that point. But it's it, it's one of those things where I don't blame the crowd for being so deflated in the main event, given what happened, unfortunately, in the semi-main. Yeah, so Kakuta, had King of Gate gone off normally, he had two televised matches, one against Kaito Ishida on May 9th at Sambo Hall. So that, as of right now, is off the table no matter what. The 522 show in Hokkaido, as far as we know, as of this recording in the middle of the day on May 5th, that is still happening, and Kakuta is wrestling Yamato on that show. So we will see what happens there. Again, we have no word at this time if it's a long-term injury. We have no word on what King of Gate is going to be because if that state of emergency is extended, that knocks out the June Cork and Hall show as well. So we have a lot of questions and not a lot of answers, but we do know that in his now seven months as champion, Shun Skywalker knocked Ben K out cold and then essentially won by forfeit off of the most deadly drop toe hold in the history of professional wrestling. This has been like the Shun Skywalker title run was going to be bizarre anyways, because he's not a guy that can talk. He certainly brings his own in ring style to the dream gate. It's a style that I really like. And I've, I've been a massive fan of what he's done with the title. The Ben K match was great before the finish. The Kaito Ishida match is one of the best matches I've seen all year. The Cosmo Sakamoto match, one of the best matches I've seen all year. And now he's got this too. And it, it it's in a way painfully on brand of Shun Skywalker, you know, was supposed to have this global uh, coming out party last year before a pandemic hit. Now he comes back, he wins the Dreamgate belt, and it's more bad luck for him. It's really, it has had to have been an incredibly taxing two years for him at this point. Yeah, and you really feel for him, and you really feel for Kakuda. The one thing I'll say that Given how the company has changed over the, the last three years, the stuff that happened with Kakuda and the stuff that happened a lot with La Estrella, I, I have confidence that it's it's not going to be like, oh, we're, we're shoving you back down the cards or, oh, we can't trust you anymore. It's just one of those things that we have to hope that 
Kakuda's uh, shoulder, collarbone, AC joint are mostly okay, and he didn't suffer any damage there, and we'll see how things are going forward, I think. Naruki Doi built an entire singles career off of breaking Shima's neck, so I think Dragon Gate can really make something out of this, and I look forward to seeing what comes of this and what the future holds for Hip-Hop Kakuda, because now... His next biz, big singles match is also going to have a giant question mark in front of it. Like, him being unproven in singles matches now is an unintentional storyline coming out of this show. I think they had hoped to put a bow on that at this point. But now, the next time he has a singles match, it's going to register as a big deal. So, I, it's a real bummer that this happened. But if there's any promotion that can make the most out of the situation, I do think it's Gate. Yeah, yeah. Also, we're, I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, I don't know if, the, and this is just me being a complete sicko. Notice that the, none of the keys were on Shun's uh, title belt. Did you notice that as well? No, that is uh, just sickening that you would notice such a thing. I, I mean, I fix it. I fix it. Uh, In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOWnet. Arenaclub.com slash VOWnet for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. 
then we had or before that we had the open the trial gate championship match this was the natural vibes champion team of kz ginky horiguchi and susumi yokosuka versus the challenging team of masquerade jason lee la estrella and the returning dragon daya dragon daya got the win in 13 13 17 with the reptilian on susumi yokosuka natural vibes fails in their second defense and masquerade becomes the 72nd open the triangle gate champions i wanted this to be better yeah it was good it was good i wanted it to be better the you you know how i talk about disappointing star ratings case yeah this was a disappointing three and a quarter for me okay yeah i just was yeah go ahead no, I just, I, I was going to repeat myself. I, I, I like this match. I thought this match was very good, actually. I, I wanted it to be part of my French. I wanted it to be fucking great, and it was not that. Yeah, this was the one that I thought would have ended up being the match of the night. And, you know, really, and I have this written down in my notes, it was a very odd match because for being as solid as he's been the first six months of his career, La Estrella is a rookie. He had a very big rookie night, sadly, in his biggest match of his career to date and was not very good at all. He botched a lot of stuff there. And it's a credit to everyone else that they were able to recenter the match and get out what they did, but it just was something that every time that it felt like it was going to hit that sprint phase in these matches, which, I mean, when where everything's going crazy, when everyone's doing dives, when it's just move, 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 La Estrella kind of uh, biffed it. And, you know, it's a it's a shame. And that's why I said uh, a couple minutes ago about if this was a, a company three years ago, La Australia would be taking the fall immediately. And as soon as they got the belts off them, they would get the belts off them and La Australia would be shoved down the card. But here, you know, I just hope that everyone's like, hey, it's difficult stuff. You had a bad night. Uh, shoulder, uh, chin up and let's let's go again next time. He's got to stop doing the Sasuke special. That is a move that he has messed up multiple times now. He gets caught up in the ropes. And it, I mean, it looks incredibly dangerous what happens to him I, I, for his own safety. And I am far from the safety police, but it, it seems like a move where it, it's not, you know, at this point, it's it's f- just wrong to say that the Sasuke special isn't the most spectacular move, but it's something that we see like other guys do that move. He does not do it well. He needs to stop doing it. Outside of that, I thought he was fine. His team, between Jason Lee and Dragon Daya, tremendous. Jason Lee is unbelievable. He's so talented. He is kind of... We were talking about this... I don't know if we were talking about this on the air or off the air a few weeks ago, about just how talented Don Fuji is and how if Fuji had worked in any other promotion over the last 20 years, one, I think he would be beloved by... Segunda Keda types and your deep Puro nerds and people that love six minute Fit Finley TV matches. Like Don Fuji would be beloved in those circles, but he works in Drangate. So, one, he's just surrounded by some of the best wrestlers ever. So, his talent gets overlooked, and two, he's in Drangate. So, those kind of people aren't paying attention to it. Jason Lee could waltz into, at this point, any juniors division in the world, including, I will say, including New Japan at this point. And I think there was a chance in New Japan he would be the best junior there. Any other promotion in the world, Jason Lee becomes the best junior in that division. He's so good. And he and Genki Horiguchi in particular have lockstep, perfect chemistry with each other. They are on beat in synchronicity 
with everything they do. And their chemistry in this match was terrific. And that's not to mention Dragon Daya, who, Mike, I don't know about you, I didn't think he missed a step in his return. No, no, he decided to, oh, I've had severe shoulder surgery and I'm and my dad passed away while I was coping with this. He decided to work through all that by just like taking all the most ridiculous bumps possible. Like his shoulder's fine. He, I know his shoulder is fine because he showed us his shoulder was fine with some of the stuff he was doing. And boy, did I miss Dragon Daya. And it was so nice to see, like, because he has great chemistry with all the natural vibes guys as well. But going back, to Jason Lee for a second, is this the first time that he does the uh, hot tag, then runs and does a dro- double drop kick into the corner? Because that was awesome. It was the first time I had seen it. I, I mean, he is really just putting in the work right now, and he's being rewarded for it. I mean, we thought for a point in time, Jason Lee challenging for the Brave Gate belt would be the peak of his career. He won the Twin Gate last year. He's now on a Triangle Gate team that seems like a cohesive Triangle Gate team. And if La Estrella can straighten things out, I think this is going to be a lengthy reign and one that is featured on the top half of the card. So this is an incredible opportunity for him. And I, I will briefly circle back to the point I made, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it. I, I would take Jason Lee any day of the week over El Desperado, and I think Despy's talented, but we watch Jason Lee on all these shows, and he consistently kills it, and Despy is the current IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. I was going to ask you that off air. I honestly <laughs> want, I was like, oh, shit, is it Despy? Is it show? Like, who is it at this point? Because Hiromu's hurt, and, and Hiromu, you know, I like, but he's after he returned from the neck injury, he hasn't been the same. And I, I, that's, that was my tentativeness. was like, well, is Jason Lee better than Hiromu? I'm not going to go that far, but Hiromu's on the shelf. So you look at that active New Japan Junior division, find me one person that's better than Jason Lee. I, I just, you know, throw out that name, at underscore in your case on Twitter. I'll let you know maybe I'm forgetting somebody. I don't think so, though. I watch Jason Lee on every single show, and I think he is just a, a sublime wrestler. He's so good right now. Yeah, no, he's just working on a different level, like, I, I, you know how like tongue in cheek I like to declare people wrestler of the year in February or most outstanding in January. He is a sleeper most outstanding wrestler of the world in 2021, and he he has yet to do anything to disappoint me. And I think that he's really held up his end of the bargain. And you know, I I have full confidence that especially with that locker and with the people that are involved, and with someone like Daya who could even be a a great mentor to Australia, because Daya wasn't out of the gates a star either in my opinion. So I, I, I think the Triangle Gate team does have some really good potential to be something special. And I'm going to be excited to see because now that Natural Vibes has lost the title, I mean, I'm intrigued by seeing if there's a Natural Vibes challenger team of KZ, UT, and, and Funky Jackie Kamei versus these three. I'm intrigued by the by whatever Goon Squad and RED come forth. Uh, Binsuke and Dragon Kid facing them. Like, there's a lot of really fascinating matchups up ahead for this Masquerade team. And, you know, this really helps out Masquerade. You know, I, I'm never going to kind of move away from my point about Masquerade, but that, but between the bells, they are astounding. And I think that this, the fact that now two of the belts are in Masquerade uh, is a is a good thing for the unit. It does show that the company has, has a lot of confidence in them, even with their misgivings. The thing about Dragon Daya, and I said this last year on the SFM 50, and I feel like it got pulled out of context a little bit. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I didn't set it up well enough. But I said, between the bells, Dragon Daya is the most exciting wrestler on earth. And I didn't mean that in terms of he's having the best matches in the world. But as we've talked about on the show, 
Genki Horiguchi once saw a video of El Hijo del Vikingo and said, what's the big deal? Dragon Die can do all that. Actually, Dragon Die can do more. This is a guy that is constantly coming up with new things. He's constantly pushing the boundaries. And specifically this match, the finish of this match, where he kicks out of Susumu's big moves and then receives a headbutt for his trouble, fires up from that headbutt, and hits the Reptilian Rana for the win. That gave Dragon Daya an edge that he has not had. It kind of... I, I don't think it's a, it's an entirely accurate comparison, but the, the idle Joshi types that work a little softer, that are very technically proficient, some of them can fly around, but don't really have that edge to them. I think there's a case to be made that Dragon Daya was sort of suffering from a similar thing. Him bouncing back from that headbutt, he's got the edge now. I am sold on this title run. Yeah, it it rocks. It is something that I just can't wait to see. It, 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 this is a Triangle Gate champion team where your mind really goes to the races, right? Like, we haven't really had a three-way or four-way this year. And I imagine that with how things are going to be booked out for Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival and Speedstar Final, that they're going to need to find a way to get a lot of people on shows. And I am stoked at the potential of a Masquerade versus RED versus high-end uh, Triangle Gate match at uh, Kobe World or at Speedstar Final. Yeah, this was this was a fun match. Again, I wanted it to be better. Mike wanted it to be better, but still a very fun match. And also, I well, let me let me say this before we move on. KZ losing the belt. I talked about when we did our original King of Gate preview when we thought we were getting all of these shows that you and I for a long time now have been in the spot where we think Yamato was going to win King of Gate or at least come out of King of Gate in a position to challenge for the Dreamgate belt. And it could be Yamato versus Shun at Kobe World. I think that right now would be the betting odds favorite. At some point, though, given their history from two Kobe Worlds ago, and given how hot he seems to be leading his own unit, how good he's been in the ring over, God, at this point, the last four or five years, is this the time where we see Shun maybe break away from the R.E.D. challengers and go into a program with KZ. Again, we don't really know what King of Gate is at this point, but would it shock you if come June or the end of June or July that KZ is your King of Gate winner? Not at all now. No, no. I I would put him at second favorite behind Yamato at this point, actually. Yeah, and I, I, quite frankly, for as good as Yamato's been recently, I, I run very hot and cold on Yamato. It... It might not jump off the page as an, oh my god, this is the Kobe World main event, but I would be much more excited about KZ versus Shun than Yamato versus Shun. Oh yeah, yeah, and I mean, seeing how they've slowly done the big build for KZ, like that seems like all the title losses that kind of pay off for him winning King of Gate, going the Royal Road, if it were, and going King of Gate to Kobe World to champion, seems like it's very appropriate, and that's a path I could honestly see them doing at this point i i could see that being a reality i could see that be what we're looking at on july 31st and august 1st i assumed once we saw the king of gate lineups that they were going to get the belt off of kz the triangle gate belt as soon as possible because i think he is someone that needs to be in the hunt and he needs to not be bogged down not to say that teaming with horiguchi and susumu is bogging anybody down but in the case of kz who has a chance to become a 1a main eventer it was. They need to get hit the belt off of him as soon as possible. And I think he is now a real contender going into the summer for 
if not the next Dreamgate champion, certainly one of the next Dreamgate challengers. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was two of the title matches, the third title match, or the second title match on the show, but the third title match we'll talk about. Open the Twin Gate Championship match. It was the Buddy Cop team champions, Masaki Mochizuki and Takashi Yoshida, failing in their second defense, and the new champion team are a group, as I put it, of just absolute killers. The RED team of Kaido Ishida and Kazuma Sakamoto. Kazuma Sakamoto, I'm sorry, Kaido Ishida won with his ankle hold on Takashi Yoshida in 10 minutes and 22 seconds. Look, the Masaki Mochizuki and Takashi Yoshida tag team, if this is the last time we see them in a straight two-on-two match, it's my favorite thing Yoshida's ever done. Because once again, I found myself sitting here in my apartment at the wee hours of the morning, and I was completely sucked in by the now trademark Yoshida formula. This man's hot tags continue to thrill me in a way that uh, Takashi Yoshida has failed to do for the last 13 years. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's something that, this was a really smartly worked match, like, Kaido Ishida and Kazuma Sakamoto are two of, I of course I don't know this, but I feel like they are two of the more cerebral uh, wrestlers. I mean, if you follow Kazuma Sakamoto on Twitter, he's constantly like retweeting global uh, like various spots that he thinks are cool, and he gets really into it. And Kaido Ishida decided to use the fact that the and Dragon Gate for people who aren't going to watch Dragon Gate. Uh, they have a special structure they put up around the cage so they can quickly build the cage. There's no there's no rig and pulley for the cage for Dragon Gate. So that they, they build up the cage, but it has like this framework that goes around the ring. He wedged Takashi Yoshida's ankle through it, and then they basically did the uh, the uh, bad evil chair swing spot, but they did it in a way that looked really awesome, completely destroying Yoshida's leg and they built the entire match around it i thought that was absolutely brilliant stuff yeah this was a a really fun match again one that i thought had the potential to be spreadsheet level great it didn't exactly hit those highs for me but it was still a really solid match i really enjoyed the mochizuki and yoshida run quite honestly i hope they stick together i hope they form a unit now with don fuji and whoever else is going to come along at that because i really do think those two have great chemistry maybe it's a testament to how good mochizuki is maybe it's just after all of these years takashi yoshida finally finding the role that is right for him in terms of the new champions kaito yoshida kazuma sakamoto you know on one hand, I was really enjoying having babyface champions. I just thought it freshened up the division. It was something new. On the other hand, I think these have been RED's two biggest workhorses. These guys always deliver. They have a style that I really like. And although they don't have a definitive next challenger, there's no obvious team that you can put in front of them. I think every match these guys have is going to be really, really good. There's a few different options there. I, I, I think with Masquerade, I mean, Masquerade's got five guys. Four of them hold titles. So I think you can rule out that entire unit in the Twin Gate division for the immediate future. You've got Natural Vibes. I think the obvious go-to is the team that they like running of Susumu and Horaguchi. I love those two. I don't love their chemistry as a tag team. I think either throwing UT and Kamei the young guys, or Susumu and UT, or Genki and Kamei, I think those would be fascinating matchups. I would love to see those. I would love it. I don't think they're going to go in this direction. But Sakamoto and Ishida versus Yamato and Dragon Kid, 
I think would be fantastic. That would feel like a really big deal Twin Gate match that I would like to see, but any combination of high end is going to work. And then you've still got half the roster at this point is unaffiliated, so there's a lot that they could dip into there. I obviously think Ashida and Sakamoto versus Mochizuki and Fuji would be a lot of fun. So we're once again entering familiar territory with a heel RED Twin Gate team. On paper, I don't like it, but it is Ashida and Sakamoto, so I, I am going to accept it and in, in a way gleefully accept it because I think these are consistently two of the best wrestlers on the roster. Yeah, and they're a bunch of absolute killers. Absolutely. Yeah, it's something that's going to be really fascinating to see where they go with this, especially when you look at when you look down the card and some of the stuff that happened and some of the responses that we're getting. It's going to be interesting the fact that these two guys are the ones in RED who are champions, and the fact that the unit shuffle is not complete. And the reason why I say that case is because match four. Now they officially said that this was countdown to Speedstar final in Nagoya special eight man tag team match. It was the Team of Speed Muscle, Doi Yoshi, Masato Yoshino, and Naruki Doi teaming up with the RD members of Eita and BB Hulk versus Ryo Saito, Kagatora, Yazushi Kanda, and Kota Minora. Kota Minora picked up kind of a cheap win because at 11 minutes and about 50 seconds, uh, Eita decided he was done with all the fun and games and low blowed Masato Yoshino and tossed Kota Minora on top of him for the non Speed Star side to pick up the win. I'm about to discriminate against our European listeners, and I do apologize for that. But, Mike, do you remember Ken Griffey Jr.'s last season on the Mariners in 2010? Yeah, where he was basically there because they wanted to have Ichiro Suzuki have his best friend around. Yeah, and there were reports, I think it actually is what ended his career, that Griffey fell asleep in the in the clubhouse right. during a game. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, okay, I'm guessing I'm, guessing I'm going to retire now. It was... On one hand, comforting to see King Griffey Jr. in a Seattle Mariners uniform. And on the other, it was incredibly disappointing because this was not the kid playing for Seattle anymore. This was an old-ass man that was past his prime. And unfortunately, that is how I feel about Masato Yoshino and his current state on the Drangate roster. I don't think he took a single back bump in this match. Yeah, no, this was a match that stayed in second gear the entire time. Yeah, it was it was not a great match. I, I weirdly, I thought Kagatora worked really hard, which when you throw these eight guys at a match, he's not the one that I'm circling as the workhorse, but I thought he looked really good. But, you know, I, I, I want to see Masada Yoshino play the hits. I want to see him move around, and he just can't. Like, he, he cannot move at this point, and it sucks. It, it, it is a real bummer that he is going to almost quite literally limp to the finish line because, you know, last year I thought he was very good. I have numerous four-plus-star Masato Yoshino matches in my spreadsheet from last year. I I just don't see a world where that's going to happen this year unless it's his final match and he is able to block out the pain and it's really something special. But this is the worst shape I've ever seen him in. He He wasn't in great shape when he returned from a big injury in 2017, but this is not good. He is not moving around the ring well at all. And he, and to be fair, in 2017, he worked his way back into shape. Like, Yeah, because his, his, he got hurt in January of that year, and that is when the retirement rumor started. But we figured, okay, Yoshino is going to be out at least a year. And then he did the John Cena thing and returned in four months. And, you know, I, I, I referenced it on the show last week. I, I retweeted the gift this morning of him at Dead or Alive 2017 when he and Doi do a tandem suicide dives 
and Yoshino lands on Kness, and Kness just cradles him like a baby to the ground so that he doesn't have a rough landing. I don't even I don't think Yoshino could do a dive right now. I mean he it's noticeable because it's Yoshino, you know, when he obviously moves around so fast, but he's, you know, he just never misses a beat. You've, you've really, outside of the one Mochizuki versus Yoshino match, you where there was a botched finish, you never see this guy make a mistake. I watched uh, this past week, Yoshino versus T-Hawk from Cork and Hall in 2013. Dreamgate match, really T-Hawk's first big match. And I gotta be honest, I'm someone that, that was very pro T-Hawk for most of his career. T-Hawk did not look good in that match, but that is a fucking great match because Masato Yoshino is basically wrestling a broomstick and he is unbelievable. And you see at this guy's peak just how good he was. And he is a long ways away from that. This was a, a boring match with, uh, you know, the finish was fun. It was what I expected. I didn't hate it, but I I am not enjoying late stage Masato Yoshino. I think I like this match a good deal more than you did because I kind of turned my brain off and recognize and it's something that's gonna be hard over the next few months turning our brain off and recognize this this tour the this countdown isn't really for the notebook this countdown is to make sure that he gets to make like the final tours and the fans have been seeing him for 20 years or 21 years almost get to go say farewell to him you know and i was able to kind of like compartmentalize that in a way but you brought up you brought up King Griffey, and I'm going to do a rare uh, recommendation. I don't like doing recommendations that often. Uh, if you have if you have any interest whatsoever in sports, John Boyce and Alex Rubenstein uh, at Secret Base, not the promotion, but the uh, <laughs> website, uh, put together a like a five part documentary b- about the Seattle Mariners. That's absolutely fascinating and it goes really in depth into king griffey's uh, final year and all of that but the the thing that that i really enjoyed in this match was i enjoyed the fact that doi and ada just kind of just had bizarrely great teamwork together like they were doing the doi fives into the imperial uno into the bakatari sliding kick and and i don't know if you picked up on this the crowd was hot for babyface ada like when ada does do the does do the turn He's going to get a real run, I think. Yeah, that I will say, and I, I'm often very critical of Ata, but I, I'm looking forward to the babyface turn. I think that's going to be super, super exciting when it happens, because at this point, it's been years since we've seen it, and you know his last babyface run was a weird mix of, oh my god, this guy is the future, look at him, versus Liger, and then his stock plummeting, like Enron in 2001, going like, oh my god, Ata sucks and then it was this real middling ground for a while i am looking forward to the babyface turn and i also i i I should note you know obviously it would be great if yoshino just hit the finish line and stride it was going banger 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 but even my expectations weren't that i mean i i I just want to see him go out there and you know, do a, do a Torbellino or something. I, mean, I, I want to see this guy play the hits, but in his current state, it's like he can't even pick up the guitar. And it, it's just one of those things that it, it's not actively annoying me. It's not like a bad match when I'm watching Yoshino wrestle at this point, but it is bumming me out because I, I really wish that his body was in a, a better state. And through 2020 it was, but this last injury is going to be uh, a very unfortunate one. And not only the career, but in the life of Masao Yoshino. Yeah, I mean, at this point, like, I'm glad he's getting the chance to say farewell. I just don't, 
I want him to have a good quality of life afterwards. You know, like, that's the point. That, like, I don't blame him for not taking the bumps. I don't blame him. And, and it is a bummer, but it's something that's, like, if I take this back bump, I could spasm and lose another 15 pounds because I can't eat. It's so bad. So, it's tough. It's tough. It was very delightful to see uh, Doyoshi come out wearing the entrance gear of Ada and uh, BB Hulk and having, like, the sunglasses and the baseball bat. I thought that that cracked me up when that happened, when the match started. And I was a little disappointed. Naruki Doi. You don't. Sell, I've never seen Naruki Doi auction or sell off his gear. He probably has it all in some storage unit in Nara. I know you have Red Berserk gear. Why didn't you wear the Red Berserk gear, Masato Yoshino? Yeah, no, he, he he has never worn. I actually went and tried to search like if he had Red gear because of this, because Ada's claim of this, he would have to go find some uh, blood generation gear for that to happen. Yeah, and he's even, he's what sixty pounds. Like even when Yoshino can't eat in his current stage because he's not healthy enough he's still like 60 pounds heavier than he was in blood generation right yeah but i i thought that that was a really funny way to start the match and you know uh we'll see what they do for the remainder of the speed star final countdown it, it's going to be something where now we kind of see what we're getting with him and i mean even in higashi osaka it felt like he was doing a little bit more than this one of my favorite what ifs in the history of Dragon Gate, and, and there are many, and at some point, uh, like Bill Simmons did this in his book of basketball, some of the biggest what-ifs in NBA history, and and I have a lot of opinions on Bill Simmons, some positive, some negative. That is my favorite section of that book. I, I really like those butterfly effect scenarios, and one of the biggest ones, I think, is, is if Yoshino does not get hurt in 2017, I don't know where this started. I don't know for sure that this is the, the direction it was going, but the consensus thought at the time seemed to be that Yoshino was going to turn on Doi and that Yoshino was going to go heel and we were going to get Yoshino versus Doi at Kobe World. Because I, I, I guess 2017, we would have known each other, but we weren't talking on a regular basis. Is that something that registered in your mind as a possibility at the time? Or was that just whatever my bubble was preaching? No, no, uh, that actually was something that the first time I heard of it was in a previous version of Open the Voice Gate with John Carroll when we were talking with uh, Jay, and Jay brought up that that was kind of an idea, that that, that was like the big idea going around was that he was going to turn and Maximum would have been like a DOI, been a completely DOI-focused unit, and then probably that would have turned Berserk into whatever... It probably wouldn't have been Antios, but it would have been like the post Berserk heel unit would have been Yoshino run. Yeah, I don't like because I remember that was a thing that we would talk about on the show, but I I don't really remember where that came from. But it was almost a rumor that was stated as a fact at that point, and we were all kind of waiting for it to happen. And I don't know I don't know where that came from, but that's something you know almost five years later that I think about quite a bit because it's been since Muscle Outlaws in 2008 since we've seen Yoshino be a heel. And I think that was kind of the point was, hey, it's been a decade since this guy has turned. He's going to turn now and he's going to he's going to doy doy and it's going to be this great thing. But but that never happened because he got hurt. And then by the time he came back, he was a heroic baby face and he's been the same ever since. Yeah. And there's no way you could have ever turned him heel after that injury. No, no, you no. could not. And then. Uh, before that, we had the first of the title matches. It was the Open the Brave Gate Championship, Keisuke Okuda of High End, defending his title against Natural Vibes and Nagoya Native UT. Keisuke Okuda makes his fifth successful defense with the Dojima Sleeper in 11 minutes and 31 seconds. And what I thought was 
the match of the night by far. Mike, there were some people watching this match live that said they were disappointed by it or that they thought it was just good and not great. I don't know what these people were watching. I was so in love with this match. It is the single best Kaisuke Akuda singles match that I have ever seen. It was his most well-rounded performance I have ever seen. I came away from this match so impressed with Akuda, and he's a guy that since he debuted in this promotion basically two years ago, a few days before Dead or Alive 2019 was when he became full-time with Drangate, since he debuted, I think you and I have been higher on him than most people, because we kind of got it, but still, I think we've even underrated this guy. What a performance this was. I, I mean, he sold, he grappled, he had strikes, he did everything you could want from a guy in this match. Yeah, yeah, and it, it was something that they, him and UT could have been a stylistic clash, but they played off of it very well with the idea that, you know, uh, and Jay did a great job on this on commentary, bringing up the fact that, you know, UT isn't a striker. Keisuke Akuda has colored the Brave division with the blood of people as he punches them in the face and does a running dropkick into the corner. And UT took on that and basically, it, for lack of better words, decided, this is my hometown. I'm go- You could do your match, but I'm going to completely try to do, uh, focus on your ankle. And this was another match where maybe I wouldn't have done this twice on the same show, have someone hit the Kate support and then use that as a focus in the match. But Keisuke Akuda very early just like an absolute sicko, did a high kick as hard as he could into the cage support, and then that made sense because it it played into the Buenos Noches move that UT has been been using. I went four and a quarter on this match. I have a feeling that you probably were in the four and a half star range. I know there's only one match you're giving your star rating for, so I'm not going to ask. Well, no, 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 this is the one, and, and I'll tell you right now, I'm at four and a quarter stars. I'm right with you. I went four flat on all of the Akuda versus Ashita singles matches last year. That was my runaway feud of the year, and I, I only went four stars on their singles matches. The only other Akuda singles match that I have gone four and a quarter on was the July 4th, 2019 Masaki Motozuki match. And yes. I, I remember that being great, and then before we recorded i was looking through akuda's cage match and just kind of looking at his evolution before he got to dragon gate and there was one match that that stood out to me that i remembered watching but didn't really remember the match and i wanted to make time before this episode to watch it because i knew it was going to be a shorter match and i will throw the link to this match into my written review over at voiceswrestling.com but on january 14th 2018 akuda wrestled uh, nakajima on a Ricky Choshu produce show. And I went back and I watched that match and I compared it with what I saw from UT and the growth from Kaisuke Akuda in three and a half years is unbelievable because he's always had that intensity and that ability to throw really stiff strikes and do not even G1 sprints because his matches are, are are faster than G1 sprints for the most part, both in terms of it's a shorter duration and it gets through more spots, more spots in a quicker amount of time. That Nakajima match is crazy. I mean, it, it's it's literally what you would expect from Akuda in Nakajima. They just hit each other hard. They make mean faces. They go about their business. Him and UT told just an incredible story here because, like you mentioned, Akuda high kicks the ring post. And that is within two minutes of the match. So he has the next 10 minutes to sell this ankle. 
and I thought he did such a tremendous job of it. Yes, he was registering kicks to UT's chest, and after every kick that he hit, he was wincing in pain. He was hobbling around. It's really... It's just a, an incredible thing, and he came into this promotion. The thing that I love so much about Akuda is he is a right place at the right time kind of guy. Because I talked with Alan Forel about this on the Pro Wrestling Torch in January of 2019, the rookie ranking tournament that made Shun Skywalker a star, that really changed the way people looked at Kaido Ishida, one of UT's real breakout moments. I talked about how there was an evolution of the Drangate house style and how they were starting to transition into almost more of a bantamweight style of wrestling. And whereas guys in the past, whether it be Paul London and Brian Kendrick being in the WWE 10 years before they should have been, or even I was thinking earlier today about Peter Casa, former Drangate alumni, who wandered into Evolve at the exact wrong moment when Evolve was transitioning into Timothy Thatcher and Drew Gulak and Biff Busick, suddenly you had this muscular flyer come into the mix, and he was a bad fit at that promotion at that time. You've had so many talented wrestlers over the years that are in the wrong place at the wrong time. And had Kaisuke Akuda come into this promotion 10 years earlier, 5 years earlier, 3 years earlier... I don't think he's an Open the Brave Gate champion, and I don't think he's an incredibly successful Open the Brave Gate champion, but he is in the right promotion at the right time where he has guys that can work his style and that, more importantly, he can learn from. He has become such an incredibly well-rounded wrestler who I think can—you know, I don't know his promo ability, but I know in the ring he does everything that I want from a Dragon Gate wrestler. He is completely well-rounded at this point. He is so much more than just a sneering, striking, tough guy. And I would have never expected that in 2019 when he came into this promotion. Because you have to remember when he came in, very strategically, he worked with Mochizuki. He worked against Mochizuki. He worked with the other dojo kids in Mochizuki Dojo. Like, he was kept into his own bubble. And he was slowly unleashed onto the rest of the roster. And by the time that happened... Now he can work with UT, we've seen him work with Genki Horiguchi, we've seen him work with Kagatora. Like, this guy can do it all, and he can do it against anybody on the roster. I think Kaisuke Akuda right now is a criminally underrated wrestler. What's not criminally underrated is his ability to have famous friends. <laughs> Very much so. Oh, you know, it's Kaisuke Akuda because, I, you know... I would like to think I'm almost a deputy in this department, but you are really the sheriff of this. Is Kaisuke Akuda a dumb jock wrestler? Yes. Yes, yes. We don't mention him in that conversation, and Mike, we need to talk about it. We need to, to do the work, okay? Kaisuke Akuda is a dumb jock wrestler. Yeah, no. Uh, and here's the, the big thing. He is angry enough to be the dumb jock wrestler, whereas Ben K, you know, he, he is a very kind person, and he, he has Kerry Von Erich, whereas, uh, whereas Kaisuke Akuda is Kevin, and Kevin was a dumb jock wrestler. Very well done, mixing world class and Drangi. That is the only podcast that is going to have that analogy. I, I mean, I'll start talking about Chris Adams later if we really need to. I, I, I love world class. World class, like I, I've said this before. I, I'm a sucker for territory wrestling. It is probably my second favorite style of wrestling after the Dragon System and world class. Whew, I loved world class, but of course, I grew up in Dallas Fort Worth. Like it's kind of ingrained in me that I would have a soft spot for, you know, the Von Ayers, Chris Adams, and Gino. 
I waxed poetically about Akuda. I do want to bring up UT for one second, because I feel like over the past week, given that it was a bigger Drangate show, I think you had more eyeballs on this than normal. And this is a take that I saw from a few different people, specifically not calling out in, in, anyone individually, but I, this because this is something that I saw from a pretty big bubble. Uh, the argument that UT needed this match to prove himself on the roster or to establish a spot or to establish trust within the Drangate office. I feel like that was a storyline, at least with us Western fans, like a year and a half ago. Two I years feel ago. like yeah, I feel like he know we know what his place is now and as long as he stays healthy, he has a pretty defined spot. Are are, are you in agreement with me there? Yeah, yeah, and not to throw shade or be be mean, but if you're someone who watches day in day out everything that goes with Dragon Gate, you watch all the shows, you you know that UT has proved himself. He has proved himself on that one Prime Zone match against Super Cisa, <laughs> yeah. which is one of my personal <laughs> favorite matches, and he's proved himself against Susumi Yokosuka two years ago in this very venue. It's just something that I mean. Yeah, he's 27. He might be 28 now, but he's, he was born in 93, so 27 at least. Uh, and he was someone that, I mean, like, he was never going to have the seal. I, I wonder what ceiling did people that are saying that expected for UT, because he was never going to have anything higher than a Brave Gate or a second or a third on a Twin Gate or Trial Gate uh, title or, uh, champion team. Like, that is his ceiling in this company. I think he's consistently one of the best wrestlers on these smaller shows, on your Kobe Sambo Hall, on your Fukuoka Double Shots, your KBS Halls. He's always someone at this point that when his name's on paper, I look forward to watching his match. And this is his role because I think Kamei is very going to, very quickly going to overtake him in natural vibes. He'll be the fifth guy in this unit. But that's a great spot for him. If he's your fifth guy in a unit, that is a pretty damn exciting unit. Remember how great Tribe was with him as a second and a third? Like, the most interesting Tri Vanguard ever was was when UT came in. Like, this isn't a new thing for him to be like this spark plug. I mean, I think UT, with the exception of Masaki Mochizuki, he is probably my, and maybe maybe Kaido Ishida, he is probably my third favorite wrestler to watch in the company. Like, he's he's fantastic. That there's I, I have a big thing about people who are Yaveos who do really bad Yave. UT makes it work. And he's one of the few wrestlers in the world that I think makes it work. There was that bizarre trio that I think actually got derailed because of a UT injury, but Kagatora, Maria, and UT were just having these absurdly fun trios matches. And that's not, you know, when I look at the roster, I'm not putting those three together and rubbing my hands together and going like, "Mm, yes, another four star match. But those three went out there and consistently killed it, and then and then UT got hurt, and then you know, luckily we saw the end of Tri Vanguard very shortly after that. But yeah, this is his role. I feel like we know what his spot is, and I I saw a lot of saw a lot of UT discourse on the timeline over the past week, some good, some bad. But I I kept on seeing that, which I thought was odd, just because I felt like we had done this already. Yeah, and and again, I don't want to throw shade, but it's. When you say stuff like that, it shows that you kind of helicopter in. Well, no one like covers no, no one covers Dragon Gate like we do, Mike. Open the Voice Gate, number one source for English speaking Dragon Gate content. Yes, sir. And that <laughs> yes, was the, sir. <laughs> and that was the business end of the card. Uh, match two 
Ultimo and Don Fuji defeated Konamawa, Ichikawa, and Problem Dragon in four minutes and thirty seconds with a with a blocked uh, La Maestral Cradle by Soccer or Konamawa Ichikawa and a real uh, La Maestral Cradle on Problem Dragon. And you know this was more serious than I was expecting it to be, but I thought it was fine. You know, Jay said something, uh, and, and I should note real quick that the English commentary was once again very fun. Uh, I I think Jay. Jay, I'll say this. Jay was very frazzled by the Dreamgate match. Did you watch the English feed or the Japanese feed? I watched the English feed, and he was very frazzled, but I felt like he covered it as well as anyone could in the moment. Yeah, exactly. Not not a knock on him, but it was noticeable that that it, that was the first time as a broadcaster that he had really been put in that position because they weren't doing Final Gate live, so we didn't really get to hear him for that Ben K moment. Uh, again, not a knock. That probably sounded meaner than I than I meant for it too. Outside of that, you know, four-minute debacle that was the Dreamgate match, not Jay's commentary specifically, once again, Jay and Ho-Ho were a tremendous team. Ho-Ho came into the booth right before the Bravegate match and said, did I miss anything? (laughs) I don't know why that is so funny, but that was so, so funny to me, like... Yes, you missed an entire match. <laughs> like, yes, of course you missed something. Um, but and and Jay's response, <laughs> Jay's response to that is like, yeah, no, you won that match. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was thinking, and this will sound horrible, but I was thinking during this show, uh, you know, case low pacifist. I oppose war as much as I can. Next time we have troops on the ground somewhere. We are sending Ho Ho as our Walter Cronkite. I need this man doing like field correspondence <laughs> in a war somewhere. Because it's so the only good. way I'll get through it. It's the only way I'll get through it. Because I, 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 I hate the fact that it will surely happen again in my lifetime that we'll be doing violent physical combat like this. I will get through it when we send Ho Ho Lude uh, to report for NBC Nightly News. I think that is the only way that I can get through it. But before Ho Ho was on commentary, Jay said something that I thought was really interesting that I just hadn't I hadn't made this observation that this was Ultimo's first Dead or Alive show, which is hard to believe, but there wasn't one last year and he wasn't in the promotion in May of 2019. So I started thinking about, well, I wonder what else Ultimo has done specifically in this building, in the Aichi Prefectural Gymnasium. And his history in this building is fascinating. The last time he wrestled here was June 27th, 2015, he defeated Black Tiger, uh, Tatsuhito Takaiwa, at an IGF show. Before that, a year later, he defeated some guy named Dark Dragon, who doesn't have a cage match profile, at another IGF show. In 2004, G1 Climax show that was headlined by Tenru versus Nakamura in a 30-minute Tenzan versus Kensuke Sasaki match. Ultimo teamed with Taiji Ishimori, who Mike and I might be doing some audio about very soon, against El Samurai and Hiroki Goto in a 15-minute time limit draw. And before that, on the second-ever Universal Lucha Libre show, an unmasked Ultimo Dragon had his first-ever singles match against Negro Casas, and that is a fascinating five-match stretch in this building. Yeah, that is... That is remarkable. That is... Like, that blows me away that his first ever singles match was in IG Prefectorial slash Dolphins Arena. Yeah, that, that's against Casa specifically. That was their first singles match. Uh, there was a handheld of that out there. It's a very good match. And then they wrestled again 
I think the date is June 7th, 1990. They wrestled in June in Cork and Hall once again for Hamada's Universal. And that that's the more famous match that ended up on Hamada Universal commercial tapes. I know the June match is on YouTube and, to me, essential viewing if you have not seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it, it it's something that, like, that's one of the cool things about Ultimo being back, right? Is that you get, like, nice little nuggets like that. And I... Jay and Hoho should be getting a lot more plaudits for what they've been doing. Especially, like, Hoho just has an ability that I think it's a shoot, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's working us. I don't put anything past people working people. But just, like, the way that, like, he is perfect in, like, asking the newcomer questions of Jay. Like, that is something that not enough wrestling companies take that aspect of commentary. And, again, we don't know if it's a shoot or a work, but I feel like that it's something that is a really nice thing and it's something that's almost completely necessary for Dragon Gate is to have someone there be a representative of new fans, especially for for non-Japanese speakers or people who are, haven't followed the company for a long time. Dylan Hales, uh, who is a, I would say, a well-renowned wrestling critic, uh, certainly the only time his name has ever come up on a Dragon Gate podcast, he tweeted something recently giving advice for indie wrestler commentators about how you need to call matches with your PWI brain and not your observer brain. When Ho-Ho Loon calls matches, he is using the casual fan brain, the casual fan that I don't think exists, but this man is asking the questions that that caricature would ask, and I think that's such a great thing. Yeah, and it's something that I think is entirely essential for a promotion like Dragon Gate, you know? Very much so. Speaking of Ho-Ho Loon, he was in the opener, teaming with Bokudomo Dragon and Benkei. We got an unintentional Big Ben reunion versus the R.E.D. team of Diamante, Hio, and Daya Inferno. The Big Ben vibes were out there as Benkei penned Hio with the pop-up spear in 7 minutes and 22 seconds. Interesting that you would call this an unintentional Big Ben reunion. Do you not think there's something perhaps in the works between Shimizu and High End? I think it'll be lost in the shuffle in high end. I agree. Okay, we're on the same page there. I, I saw a lot of speculation about that this morning. I think that would be very bad for Shimizu, who, at least I think, we talked about KZ and Yamato earlier being in the Dreamgate hunt. I, you know, maybe it's a post-Kobe world venture, but I do think Shimizu should be in that mix for at least a Dreamgate challenge later this year. And if he goes to high end, he is immediately the number five in that promotion with no chance of upward trajectory because he has four established guys in front of him and he could become uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ and he would still not be as popular as Yamato, Dragon Kid, Benkei, and Akuda. So I, I agree. I think he needs to stay away from high end. I think him leading his own unit would be very interesting, but it was really nice to see for one more night the pop-up assisted spear and boy, did they hit a beauty. Yeah, it was great. Hio is tremendous at taking these finishes and make them look like death. Uh, just was like a fun little opener, three-star opener. Uh, fun teamwork from the R.E.D. Goon Squad there. Uh, Diamante just pulling out bizarre Lucha submissions, doing that reverse surf cross-arm surfboard. Like, that was absolutely nuts. Like, never thought of that as a move before, but Diamante apparently has and decided to use it. Yeah, a uh, fun opener, not super eventful outside of, again, the wacky Diamante stuff in the Big Ben reunion and subsequent Spear, but a fine way to start the show. You know, Mike, I'll say this. I woke up at approximately 1.40 
a.m. Central Standard Time uh, to watch this show because, you know, I'm a journalist. I got to watch this stuff live, one of the biggest shows of the year. But I woke up at 1.40 thinking, oh, you know what? I'll go above and beyond for our listeners and for my readers. I want to make sure that I watch this dark match between Jackie Kamei and Yosuke Santa Maria. And these people didn't put it on the Dragon Gate Network, and I was so upset by that. Yeah, I when I got a chance to watch this show this morning, I was so crestfallen I didn't get to watch this match. I mean, you know how I feel about Kamei. Turtle Coon's my guy, and I was really hoping to get a chance to watch it. And I even went to the YouTube feed saying, like, maybe they just didn't put it on the, uh, the network feed. Maybe it was on YouTube feed. No, it wasn't on there. It was a time limit draw, you know. This will be a lost match, just like all of the Soccer Chikawa versus Tomohiro Ishii matches. <laughs> so, Mike, that is Dead or Alive 2021. I will ask you this. This is something that I put in all of my reviews. Thumbs up, thumbs in the middle, thumbs down. For someone that is familiar with the Drangate product, perhaps check stuff out based on our recommendations or the written reviews, what what is your response to Dead or Alive 2021? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Thumbs in the middle, I think. Just because I the Triangle Gate match, the the Estrella botches kind of really took me out of it and then it's tough that your your title match gets cut short, but I mean, it had two four-star matches, but this was a show I was coming in and if I looked at the show on the paper, one, two, three, four potential four-star matches, and we only got two of them, so thumbs in the middle. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the Brave Gate match is absolutely essential viewing if you have any interest in the current product, and I think the cage match is well worth your time. I, I really thought that was a smart match. Not the most exciting, not the best cage match ever, but if you've if you watched even the final gate unit disbands match, you will get enjoyment out of the cage match from this show because it is the natural next step in that what could become a very long-term feud between SB Kento and Dragon Kid. They're supposed to have a singles match this week, but uh, that is not happening. So, Mike, as of now, and I and I, I hate to kind of take the wheel from you here, but I, I've got a million thoughts going on, one of them being, as of the time we're recording, we don't really know what's going on with King of Gate. We do know that next Sunday, as of right now, uh, May 16th at Gross Fukuoka, we are supposed to get a, a uh, oh, it's it's actually May 15th. It's a, not a double header, but a double shot with the 15th and the 16th. What could be the first King of Gate shows that we'll see. Yeah, yeah. We might be going to the buffet next week. Yeah, I, I hope we have some news on Hip Hop Kakuda. I hope we have some news on Dragon Gate, King of Gate. Uh, because, you know, those shows, just to quickly read those King of Gate matches, right now we have Yoshida versus Diamante, Dragon Kid versus KZ, and Yamato versus Okuda on the 15th, and Doi versus Minora, Dragon Kid versus Eita, and Skywalker versus Kaito Ishida on the 16th. So fingers crossed those shows happen, and fingers crossed we have more news and notes for you next week. Yep, and unless you have anything else, let's get out of here. Uh, I'm good with that. Yep, you, you probably you've had a long day already, so <laughs> very much. So. It's time for you to take it easy, and, <laughs> and, and and I'm about to prepare myself to watch my second insane cage match of the day and talk about it. So that's going to do it. So for Case, I'm Mike. You can follow Case at underscore in your case. You can follow me at Fuji Hayes, like with two eyes, like Don Fuji, and throw the podcast account a follow at Open Voice Gate. But again, for Case, I'm Mike. Thanks for listening to the Voice Gate. Take care. <laughs>